The reading is Psalm 10, and that can be found on page 547 in the Bibles on the chairs. Page 547, Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grave and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. Of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. This is God's word. Good morning, everybody. Um, just a warning to start off. Um, when I cough this morning, I'm very close to a microphone, so you might get quite surprised by how loud that's going to be. Um, as Christians, we are sometimes wonderfully aware of God's nearness with us. These are times when the doctrine of God's omnipresence becomes our present experience. Uh, these are times where we really know that he is both the God who is everywhere and the God who is right here with us. They're really precious times where we see his power at work, saving family members, reminding us of the glorious love of Jesus or sustaining us through trials. And those times of nearness are what life is all about. We're filled with joy. We can't help but worship. Some of us are singing at the top of our lungs. Others have got our hands lifted high. It is great. But there are also times 
when God seems distant. We gather as church and our minds are full of troubles or the gospel is preached but it lands on cracked dry ground. You try to live for Christ during the week but it just feels like something is missing. These times of distance in our Christian life are tough, especially if they coincide with times of trouble, when the diagnosis comes in, when the relationship breaks down, when the way forwards is shrouded in darkness. That's when we want God's comforting embrace most, but sometimes it just feels like he's a million miles away, concerned with other matters. It feels like he doesn't care. Our prayers seem to reach no higher than the ceiling. The Bible is just words. Church is a duty, not a joy. If you recognize yourself in that description from time to time, that's not something to be ashamed of. That's not necessarily your fault. It's actually something, as far as I can tell, that all of God's people go through from time to time. That's certainly how David is feeling at the outset of this psalm, Psalm 10. He says in verse 1, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Um, Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 go together. In the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament, they're actually one psalm. And if we keep them together like that, we're still going to be singing to the same tune that was mentioned last week. The same tune that's in the title of Psalm 9, if you look at it. For the director of music, to the tune of the death of the son. This is a song about when David was at the gates of death. That's what we see in Psalm 9 verse 13. He's on the verge of dying and it feels like his God has abandoned him. God, where are you? Of course, this fits with Jesus' experience so well, doesn't it? In David's words here, we hear the prelude to the ultimate death of the son. Remember Jesus' words on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Nailed to a piece of wood and carrying our sin, the Son of God felt utterly alone. So that question, God, where are you? It's a common question in the experience of God's people. But the Holy Spirit has given us this psalm. Not to like get us out of asking that question. Not to get us out of that experience. But to help us worship in that experience. This is how to worship when God seems distant. And there are going to be uh, three parts to this. Firstly, when God seems distant, complain to him. Um, Mel showed me a video a couple of days ago where uh, mum is rebuking her kid for whining too much. But the kid's response is, but I've only just started. I think we've all met people like that. Um, they've turned complaining into a sport and they're hoping to go pro. It's pretty irritating and it's not the best coping strategy for times of trouble. But complaining is exactly what David does here in verses 2 to 11. The cause of his complaint is the wicked man. And he's got four things about this man that he's complaining to God about. First complaint, he's proud. Verse 2 mentions his arrogance. Verse 3 mentions and describes his boasts. 
verse 4 mentions his pride. Everything this man does is purely self-interested with utter disregard for anyone else. Second complaint, he's brutal. Look at verse 2. The wicked man hunts down the weak. And then verses 8 to 10. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. This speaks of oppressive power and evil. I think we've all seen um, documentaries where lions are hunting zebra. Zebra? Why did I go American then? Um, They see the whole herd, but they, they wait. They wait for the youngest. They wait for the weakest. And then they pounce with brutal intent and effect. Uh, That's what this man is doing here, in the same way, brutally attacking the weak. And third complaint, he's godless. Notice from verse 3, all the ways that this man rejects God. Um, He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. The only thing this man seeks is wealth. Anything that would take him off that path is irrelevant, and he's certainly not interested in God. God's name, his ways, his laws mean nothing to him. So he's proud, he's brutal, he's godless, and the final complaints that David says, he's getting away with it. Even though he's all those things, proud, brutal, godless, this man says to himself in verses 6 and 11, nothing will ever shake me, no one will ever do me harm. God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. Through all his evil, this wicked man believes that God really is far off. This wicked man continues in his ways because he thinks that God has blindfolded himself or is looking the other way. He's getting away with it. So well might David complain about this man. Remember, he's at the point of death because of this lion. And where is God? What if this wicked man is right? What if God really has blindfolded himself? What if God really is looking the other way? Why hasn't he put his evil to an end? It's not right. It's not fair. So, God, uh, so David lifts his complaints to the Lord. And so should we. Today, the wicked man represents all who reject God and do harm to the church of Christ. Then, uh, this wicked man stood for David's enemies. Today, this wicked man stands for Jesus' enemies. He represents all who would proudly choose the way of greed and oppression rather than God's ways. And of course, this can take many forms. We might think of the world of business and international companies who blindly seek profit at the expense and exploitation of factory workers, both here and elsewhere. We might think of um, what we heard in our prayer meeting this month. We heard about the the really brutal crackdown on Christianity in China uh, since March and particularly since September. Bible apps banned, pastors arrested, families imprisoned. And in the spiritual realm too, we might think of Satan and his dark forces causing untold suffering in the lives of many, in, in your lives as well. And all this wickedness 
is worth complaining about. You don't have to suffer in silence. That's not what God wants. But we've got to complain in the right way. Moping in our own minds does no one any good. Complaining and moaning to other people does only limited good. But complaining to God can be an act of worship. When we face a world of wickedness, saying, asking, where are you, God, is the start of a really good prayer. He already knows what you're going through. He doesn't need informing about the news that's going on, but he just wants to hear your voice. Even if you're complaining, he wants to hear what you're complaining about. When God seems distant, worship by complaining to him. Even, th- even when you think, even when it seems like your words are landing on deaf ears, just keep telling him what hurts. But of course, if, um, if David stopped this psalm after verse 11, it wouldn't be a particularly good prayer. Um, complaining to God can be the start of a good prayer, but that shouldn't be where the prayer stops. Um, so in verses 12 to 15, David cries to God in his affliction. Uh, his complaining is followed by cries for help. So here's our second way of worshipping when God seems distant. Cry to him. You might have noticed that so far, David and the wicked man actually have one thing in common. They both think that God is distant in some way. David said, why, Lord, do you stand far off? And the wicked man said, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. In the moment, neither of them believes that God is really aware of what's happening. However, in their experience of a distant God, their reaction is actually the utter opposite. Um, The wicked man just carries on. If God is unseeing out of his way, then the wicked man can just continue on the same path that he's been on. Greed and oppression. Um, It's like when the poacher thrives when the park warden isn't around. God's distance for the wicked man is a good thing, but not so for David. Just look at his cries for help in verses 12 and 15. He just longs for God to act in verse 12. It's like he he seems like God is lying down, relaxing. And so David's cry is, arise. Uh, David's experience is that God's hand is kind of limp, not doing anything. And so he says, lift up your hand, O God. And David can't stand the thought that his God might have abandoned him. And so he cries, do not forget the helpless. In other words, do not forget me. And in verse 15, David's cry is not, necessar- it's, it's not that God would, um, it's not only that God would exert his power, but rather it's that God would break the power of his foe, um, break the arm of the wicked man, call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would otherwise not be found out. It's not so much about just revenge. That's not what David's interested in here. He just wants the wicked man's hunt to come to an end. He wants no more murder, no more attacks, no more victims. And in the same way that God's hand kind of refers to his power, the wicked man's arm refers to his power. So breaking the wicked man's arm is not a literal thing, but rather it's a break his power. It's a figurative way of praying that his victims might be relieved 
from his oppression. David cries that God's power would break the power of his enemies. When God seems distant, do you keep on crying out for his power, for his help? DIY, do it yourself. Um, It's probably the life skill that I am least equipped in. Um, When I told my siblings that I'd bought an electric drill, they just laughed. Um, From a young age all the way to the present day, I've put shelves on backwards. I've bought bookcases that are too big for the room that they're supposed to fit in. I've hammered things that shouldn't be hammered. But um, I I really am awful at it. But I've come to peace with that. And my defense is that DIY is not a Christian virtue. The Christian says, (laughs) whether I feel God's presence or not, I need him. I cannot do this myself. You can't save yourself. You can't defeat your enemies yourself. You can't face the struggles of life yourself. From start to finish, just like David, the Christian must constantly cry out to God, That's true when we're wonderfully aware of his presence, when he feels near to you. That is just as true when he seems far off, when he seems distant. Don't let that distance tempt you towards DIY Christianity. When God seems distant, worship by crying to him. And finally, when God seems distant, worship by being confident in him. When Jesus was on the cross, he experienced distance from God in a way that none of us will ever experience. Darkness covered the land as a sign of God's judgment. And the Son of God, as we've already said, cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But even then, Christ was still confident in his God's care for him. Um, We're familiar with his final words, It is finished. Um, but the word, his final words in Luke's account are often overlooked. Jesus also said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even in this terrible moment of distance, this was an expression of confidence and trust that his father would still be there for him, even when he was distant. And Psalm 10, again, is... David's version of the death of the son. It's the prelude uh, to what Jesus went through. And here David shows that very same confidence in this time of trouble, at the gates of death, he keeps on crying out in trust and worship. That's how he spends the whole second half of this psalm. Even though it feels like God is a million miles away, busy with other matters, David keeps on worshipping. He keeps on praising. I'd love for all of us to be able to do that. That's a real marker of Christian maturity. Whatever we're feeling, whatever trouble we're facing, to be those who keep on worshipping. I'd hate us to be just fair-weather worshippers who only praise God when we feel like it. And notice how David does it. All his senses are telling him that God is nowhere to be found. But whatever he's feeling... He worships because of the facts. He speaks out what is true, even when he doesn't feel it. Um, So 
Two facts. Fact number one, God sees. The wicked man thinks that God is blindfolded, looking the other way. David feels like God is standing far off, hiding himself in this time of trouble. But David knows that both are wrong. Verse 14 is precious, isn't it? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The fact is that none of David's trials have gone unnoticed. None of his tears have fallen to the ground without God taking note and catching them in his hand. And David might well have started the psalm wondering if his prayer would have been heard. He might have started wondering whether his prayer would actually reach any higher than the ceiling. But note what he says in verse 17. This is the fact, even though it's not what he's feeling. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. Whatever you're feeling, this is the fact. God sees. God hears. And fact number two, God is on my side. David might well have felt abandoned, like God had left him alone in this difficult trial, but he knew what his God was like. He knew the nature of his father. Um, The victims commit themselves to you. Why? You are the helper of the fatherless. That's just what God is like. He is a helper. He's not someone that stands far off. He's a helper. And who is God? He's not powerless, but we see in verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. And then verse 18, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike in terror. God is not on the side of the wicked man. He's on the side of the fatherless. He's on the side of the oppressed. And he's not far off because this is his land. This isn't the wicked man's land. And one day, all wickedness will be banished. And we will have a perfect new world where there is no room for evil. Whatever David was feeling, he sings out the facts. God sees and God is on my side. And these are your facts too if you are following Jesus. Whatever you are going through. Our God is never distant, whatever we might feel. Our God never stands far off. He is never lying back disinterested in what you're going through. He is always present. How can you be sure? How can you be sure that he's always present? Because that's what Jesus died for. He was forsaken by his father. He experienced that distance from God In the worst sense, a dreadful separation because of the sin of all his people. Our sin was so piled on him that his father was so revolted he had to turn his face away. And Jesus faced that so that we would never have to if our faith is in him. He experienced distance so that we might know God's presence. We are never alone if we are in Christ. We are never abandoned Christ has faced that already for you. So even if you don't feel it, these are the facts. When God seems distant, worship by being confident in him. I love how the Psalms kind of have this wonderful mixture of feelings and facts. 
Whatever you're feeling, don't suppress that. Say it. God wants to hear. But also, remember what is true. That can be so comforting in times of darkness when God seems distant. Um, Just in conclusion, I normally try and um, avoid cliches when I'm preaching because I find them really cringy. But sometimes cliches are cliches because they're actually really good. And so I know that lots of you are going to be familiar with this poem that I'm going to read. It's the poem of um, Footsteps on the Sand. Clichéd, but exactly what David's talking about here. One night I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two steps of footprints in the sand. One belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my uh, my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, You'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you most, you would leave me. He whispered, My precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Whatever you're feeling, this is what's true. How do we worship God when he seems distant? Complain to him, cry to him, and be confident in him. Let's pray. Our Father God, we lift up um, those among us who are going through troubled times right now. Father, it's so hard. And Lord, we long that we would know your embrace when we go through those times. Father, even when we don't feel like it though, we pray that you would remind us of what is true. Thank you that you are present. Thank you that you are here. Thank you that you saw every single one of our tears this week. Thank you that you heard every single one of our cries. Please help us to keep on worshipping, whatever we are facing and whatever we feel. In Jesus' name, amen.